but basically the people that were taking care of me felt mandated by what they call a higher power to keep me alive. The one lady that was my nurse practitioner that was overseeing my case daily would feel on the way to work, you have to keep her alive today. And she would get so mad at this voice that was telling her that. And she would say, if you want me to keep her alive today, you have to tell me how to do this because I don't even know what to do anymore. And so she would adjust this and do that and tweak that. Walking around the room and just feeling, she said, something speaking to her and telling her what to do. And we know that Welcome to the Real Talk 238 podcast with your host, Denise Lee, an Associate Licensed Counselor and Nationally Board Certified Counselor in the state of Alabama under the supervision of Cotina Stroud. The Real Talk 238 podcast has real conversations concerning taboo topics, which people may find themselves struggling with that may not be discussed, especially in relation to the church. The purpose of the Real Talk 238 podcast is to bring awareness, hope, and encouragement. Having these conversations will shed light on the truth and break the lie of being the only one, being stuck, isolated, and alone because there is someone else who has gone through something similar. Topics discussed on the Real Talk 238 podcast are not a substitute nor does it replace professional medical, psychiatric, psychological, or mental health advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and is intended strictly for informational and educational purposes only. All right, let's get started. Hey, everyone. Thank you for coming on the Real Talk 238 podcast today. I'm your host, Denise Lee, and I'm so excited about today. I'm excited about my guest. Her name is Celinda Nickel, and she is from Cabot, Arkansas. She is the executive director of Compassion Services International. She's married to John and has been married for 23 years. She has two girls and two miniature little dash hounds. She goes to New Life Church in Cabot, Arkansas, and her pastor is Tim Gaddy. And she's been in church her whole life. For ministry-wise, she does Compassion Services International, but she's also part of the pastoral team at New Life Church, and she speaks at a various ministry meetings, and she describes herself about as being passionate about bringing hope and help to the world. And fun fact about her, she grew up in the Caribbean as a missionary kid. She's been to 54 nations. That's a lot of places. And this one I, I thought was great. She had an accident while taking a driver's license test. How are you doing today, Celinda? I'm great, Denise. Thank you so much for having me on. That's a little fact that I don't share very often. So how funny is that? So how did that happen? The drivers? Uh, Well, so I was raised in the Caribbean. My parents were home every four years because they were missionaries. So right before I was going back to the field, they felt like it would be great to get my driver's license in America. So I went and had the test and it was my grandpa's new car. While I was in the parking lot, he told me to reverse and go one way. And then he's like, no, you know what? Go out the other way. So I had already turned and committed too much and just crunched my grandpa's car. So I just started crying and the guy was laughing so hard. He's like, I've been doing this for 20 something years. I've never had this happen. And so we go back in the door and I'm crying. And my grandpa's like, that is so quick. And I'm like, come see your car. 
So, oh my, yeah. I asked if I could retake it, and he's like, "No, you definitely can't." So, <laughs> okay. You know, I hopefully that wasn't like a sign of things to come. I was a pretty safe driver until recently. So. <laughs> uh oh, I won't ask about yeah, that one. <laughs> a whole other podcast for another day. So you grew up in the Caribbean. Did your parents travel from like country to country? And and I apologize for my ignorance on this. No, no, that's fine. That's a great question. So you've had Carla Burton on here before, and she's a missionary kid to the Philippines. And we actually worked together in MK Ministries. So my parents got appointed when I was four. They let us know that they felt a call to the Caribbean. They left the church that they were pastoring at. At that time, because of the fact that there was no school to go to that was like a distant school or like online school, we had to stay with my grandparents for a year. And they traveled on deputation. And then we moved to the Caribbean and you would be on location for four years and then one year come back to America and raise more funding and then go back. That's how it worked. And my upbringing, I think, was a little bit different because my parents, I lived in the U.S. Virgin Islands, which is St. Croix, St. Thomas, St. John. Those are the U.S. Virgin Islands right by Puerto Rico. But then during the summers, they would go down to like St. Kitts, Nevis, St. Martin and have Bible school. So we would live in a different place during the summer than we did during the school year. Just a lot of traveling, but their main focus was establishing Bible schools and then training the leaders to lead the people, which is a lot of missionaries focus. I think that is an awesome experience to be able to do that. And I just want to go real quick here. Tell everybody like what is Compassion Services International for those who do not know what that is? So Compassion Services International is the nonprofit of the UPC. And it's basically been in existence for 30 years. It was actually started in a boardroom because the Ethiopian hunger crisis was happening. And I don't know if you remember this was 30 years yes. ago, but like all the pictures of people that were just having a hunger crisis. And so at that board meeting, they said, how can we exist as an organization to just say in one side, you know, we want to bring salvation, but not bring practical help out of that meeting birthed Compassion Services International. And then they found that it would probably be better to be a separate 501c3, which is a nonprofit. And so they're registered as a separate entity. And that just kind of brings businesses behind it and ways to to establish it and grow the foundation versus just being under the hub of global missions. We focus on four wings. We do humanitarian aid, which I'm a huge proponent of, education relief around the world and then disaster relief and medical missions. So those are our four main wings. And then we work with those four things around the world. So we come in and bring the practical help to strengthen the hands of the missionaries. So we provide more tools for them to reach their nations. So I guess like with Haiti right now, you guys are very, very busy with that. Yes, we have a team there right now. We have a smart team and they're actually going in and they're the first responders that go in and assess the situation. So we've been raising funds for the buckets of relief. So they're taking in buckets to the people that are in distress and actually trying to evaluate the situation because it'll be a long-term help for the people. They say 100,000 people that were already homeless before this happened just because of gang warfare in that area. It's in the southwest region of Haiti. Now they're having to come alongside them 
They've made agreements with the gangs that they can go into that area, but they're having to bring not only immediate food to them, but then try to get them shelter because they were living in the street. It's going to be a long-term help. And then also helping in Afghanistan, just trying to strengthen the hands of the of the Christians there. Some of them were trying to get relief to get them out of the nations. And that's all something that we don't want to talk about a lot, but we've been working with organizations to do that. And I agree. That's a topic that needs to be discussed a lot right now just because of the danger it could put Christians in. I am so grateful for the service you do in that area. And it's a needed service because we have things here, but you know what? We have a we have a world that's also suffering. And if we don't reach out in various ways, this is not why I brought you to come on the podcast. But I just want to say I remember years ago I was in a state and me and my husband were actually ministering at this particular church. And I went with the pastor's wife of that church and went to, I think we went to Sam club and there was a lady from the church. She wrote along and she had asked me, she goes, I, I want to be a missionary. And it, I felt kind of on the spot. And so I just wisely told her, I said, you know, if you want to be a missionary, you've got to start the missionary in your own backyard, your own neighborhood, your own your own city, start there and then work your way out. And it will open up if it's supposed to open up. I think that's so important because there's so many people that in their mind, they want to go into missions and they want to help. A lot of times uh, I'm a part of Global Connections, which is like a training. It's like an NAYC for missions. But I always say, are you teaching a home Bible study where you are in your city? Are you meeting new people? Because that's what missions is about. It's meeting neighbors and forming those friendships and creating Bible studies. Everybody has an opportunity to practice right where they are. I think that's absolutely wonderful. Okay. So just shifting gears, the reason why I asked you, and I've been wanting to touch base with you, and I'm thankful how God just had our, our paths crossed the way he did. I had heard stories that you had 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 an aneurysm and I may, I may butcher this up some, but I remember seeing pictures and about the aneurysm and just the things you go through, like when you're facing, because an aneurysm is, that's a serious, serious issue. Because if you're at the aneurysm, if I understand right, if, if something goes wrong with it, you could die like within minutes. When did you find out that you, the other day, you said that you actually had two Basically, I had no idea that I had an aneurysm. There was a lot going on in my life at the time. I had just come back from NAYC. We had, I think it was like 60 something missionary kids that were taking care of during NAYC. I was getting ready to go teach at our Bible school that we have at our Church Purpose Institute and getting ready also the following week to go to school mission. So it was a time of like extreme stress and there's a lot going on. And I had gone to eat dinner with my husband and my daughter, left the restaurant and they just saw my car jerk. My husband said he thought I was texting, which tells you do not text and drive because <laughs> if you have an aneurysm, they will never know. But it was an, so an aneurysm is almost like if you think of a tire that it needs to be changed. And before it has that flat, they'll have like a bulge in it. And there's a yeah. bulge. So it was a blood vessel in my brain that actually had that bulge in it. And then, so a ruptured aneurysm is when that blood vessel then breaks and your brain is actively bleeding. And that's what was happening when I say the angels of the Lord were driving me. So you literally were driving your car when that ruptured.
record. I drove my car and I went into an Arby's parking lot and parked in a spot. And that's why I say the angels of the Lord were driving because even on a good day, I don't park in a spot. I'm like the crazy parker. Went through the history of my phone and they can tell just by looking at the history of what I did. I went through the history of my phone and was just going through numbers that I call and just kept hitting them until someone answered. And it was my daughter that answered. She could hear me. I was just saying that my head hurt and she could hear me vomiting. So I was actually probably having a seizure when I called her. So she found me on Life360, which is the app that I got to actually spy on her because she was dating at that time. And I was a concerned mother. It was great for me. She found me on Life360 and she called the ambulance and then she called her dad and, and they came. So they got me to the hospital and basically Basically, we're not overly worried at that point. Just went in and had some testing done and they found out that I needed to get strengthening into that blood vessel. So that blood vessel had broken and so they need to come in then and strengthen that blood vessel. All of that went without too much complications per se. So the bleeding that had happened in the brain, they have to drill a hole and alleviate the pressure and get the blood out. But what was happening is that they were, they have to... I guess they feel like they have to give you a lot of fluids to hydrate your brain. Your brain is mostly water, so they're rehydrating you. Yeah. And during that point, my lungs just started getting too much liquid. My body was not taking it off of me like it needed to. It ended up having to be intubated. I was on a ventilator. So I was in ICU for two months during that time period. And it was miracle after miracle of how the Lord just had his hands on me, how people that were taking care of me at that time, and I've spoke about it on several podcasts and different things, actually just wrote a book about it. So hopefully in the fall, it'll be released. But basically the people that were taking care of me felt mandated by what they call a higher power to keep me alive. The one lady that was my nurse practitioner that was overseeing my case daily would feel on the way to work. You have to keep her alive today. And she would get so mad at this voice that was telling her that. And she would say, if you want me to keep her alive today, you have to tell me how to do this because I don't even know what to do anymore. And so she would adjust this and do that and tweak that. Walking around the room and just feeling, she said, something speaking to her and telling her what to do. And we know that that was the voice of the Lord. You know, that really is a miracle in itself because, you know, medical professionals, they have a certain protocol they have to follow. There was a situation that I can't go into the details of it. I was having to minister to somebody who could not have anesthesia. Her medical professionals would do, and I'm by no means any, I'm not a, a great piano player. I, I clunk it along, but, but I tell you what, it was the hand of God because it never failed. I would start playing piano to her and it was and she had no anesthesia and the procedure was very painful, but God just carried her through. And the doctors walked out of that room and was like, what just happened there? And that is the hand of God. And I mean, I've got over here, I've got chills as you're telling that story about the nurse practitioner. It's amazing. So the Lord, you know, it's a very long story. I'll make it short. I finally woke up, just had a lot of the things I had to relearn. And it was you know, again, this is where prayer, I mean, when I tell you the people of God in my church are praying, the people across the nation, nations were praying, having days of fasting and prayer, just because of the nature of my job at that time, working with our missionary kids from around the world. I just feel blessed in the fact that people were willing to do that because I know I'm here today because they did that. They reached heaven on my behalf. 
So while you was, you was in ICU, you were not conscious. Is that right? I was not. I basically, during that time period, my daughter went to college. So before I was intubated and out per se, I did tell her goodbye. I told her the angels of the Lord were going with her, that she would be fine. And so I did not go to check her into college. She was a freshman in college. It was just, it was crazy because when I did have that time where I was under anesthesia and I was, you know, out per se, the Lord was still working in that. So that was, that's a whole other side story. Like the Lord was actively working. What I felt like I was doing at the time was ministering to MKs and there's whole stories that go with that. And here I was in this away world, but it was like coinciding with what was happening in the natural world. So that's what was also crazy. If people hear that, they're like, what? Yeah. So I'm just like, I'm over here. What? So you're literally like not conscious, but you were actively in this other Uh part of, was it more like a dream, but it was kind of like reality or day-to-day reality. So I was taking care of missionary kids and they were in Access Challenge Nations. I knew the country that I was in. I was in West Africa and I was in a missionary's home that I literally in real life had just come back from. I was there and the ones that were helping me, there was two hyphen age girls that were helping me take care of the missionary kids, which I, like I said, they're all from Access Challenge Nations. They're actually both called to Access Challenge Nations. And in real life, they are. So I would take care of them kind of like what we would do at school admissions. I would, you know, sing with them. We'd have our lessons. We'd have all this. Then they told us that the lights were going to go out. We were going to get rescued. They felt like we're going to get rescued. They said the lights are going to go out. And then when the lights came back on, we would be rescued. So that's what, you know, we had drills. We talked to the kids about this. During this time period, they came and they brought me two girls. One of them, uh, both of them, were already deceased in real life. And one of them, I, she in real life never was able to like walk around very mobile or anything. I took her to Disney World. She had a Cinderella dress on and we rode rides and she had fun. And then I came back and the guy in the robe said, thank you for taking care of her. And then another girl that I took care of, they said, we need you to take care of her for the day. I took her to Justice, which is an old store, clothing store for tweens, you know, like a tween age. And I uh, took her to like drink milkshakes and eat, french, you know, hamburgers, french fries and all these things. So brought her back and they're like, thank you, you're done. So back to real life, when I talked to the grandparents of the one that was a tween, they said that was actually her favorite store in real life. Those are some of her favorite foods. So, and then another thing that happened to me is they came and brought me a friend of mine's daughter and she, and again, in real life at that time was going to an access challenge nation and was so upset with her parents that they were taking her there. And so the dad said to the mom, I just wish Celinda was here to help her. She said, well, she's, you know, having her own struggle. She's, in ICU right now and all that. And he said, I know that I know, but, and I told him when I called him after I, you know, came back to you and all this, I told him, I said, I was taking care of your daughter. So when they brought her to me, I would talk to her every day and say, you know what? God doesn't call parents. He calls family units. And it could be that you're in this country because you're the one that has the influence of the people and you're going to bring results for your parents and all of the things. And just had a lot of times with her. And then Actually, at the end, the guys with the white robes came and got her and said, okay, she's fine. Thanks for helping her. 
and then she left. So on the other side, which is reality side, I talked to, again, the conversation with the dad and he said, you know, it was almost like a week later, she kind of just came to herself and she was saying things like, hey, dad, you know what? God calls families, not just parents. It's like, maybe I'm actually here to help you and strengthen you. And it was like, when the Bible says, if I were in this spirit or out of this spirit, I do not know. I feel like so much of what happens in our life is because of prayers and because of what's happening on the other side. Here it is that, you know, I was still out of it, but my spirit was connecting to the Lord. My spirit was connecting to a higher purpose. One of the young people in our church, I was like obsessed with worrying, I don't want to say worrying, but just, you know, how you feel in your spirit, just like a connection to someone and you feel like to constantly be thinking of them. And- yeah. A burden. I, yeah, I totally get that. I've got that going on right now with a young person and just very heavy hearted. And I'm constantly praying for that person. And yeah. It, and, you know, and God knows, God knows exactly what they need. And, and, and I know other people are praying for this individual as well. While that was happening and I woke up during that time period while I was away, he actually was getting ready to go through a divorce hit, you know, he and his wife were having issues at that time. And so again, when we pray for people, you cross every kind of barrier that is, and the does the work through us. When we intercede for people, that's why we have to intercede and do what the Lord tells us to do because, you know, you're making a difference, not only here, but in the heavenlies, you're making, you're changing the trajectory of their life. And that's a, that's a really good point that you do bring up about prayer and why it's important when you feel burdened for somebody to pray, because you may not even, you know, you may not know them personally. You may not, you may have just seen them like at a conference or you may have, maybe it was a visiting minister or whatever the case may be. And you may not have that close contact relationship, but man, like you said, prayer can cause cross barriers. You just never know a point you bring up. And I'm like, I'm over here just going, whoa, (laughs) that is like, and you know, that is the hand of God. You just, and that makes me think about about the scripture where it says we entertain angels unaware. I'm just going, wow, a whole different perspective. So I think that's awesome, awesome story. And especially because you were able to, while you were in, in ICU, after you got out, you were able to contact those different ones and they were able to confirm, well, this is what was happening here. And this is what, and it just went right along with what you were experiencing. So you were in ICU for two months and was that entire two months for you unconscious? So I came, I finally like one day just woke up through all of this, you know, because of the time amount of time when you're just laying there and not doing anything and just trying, your body is trying to heal. You're no longer using your muscles. You lose bit of that muscle tone. So, and a lot of it was like the connectors in your brain are just trying to heal and not work on like that memory synapses of, Hey, when you have to stand up, you have to do this with your muscles. So, you know, I started waking up. um, I had, I was intubated. So I had to at first have a tube, you know, like to press into, I guess like Superman did, you know, like when you think of Superman, when he was in the wheelchair and he had to press that tube. Yeah. The funny thing is, is people say, well, weren't you so happy when you woke up? And I, I say, of course I was happy because they, I don't usually explain the whole backstory to people, but in reality, I was worried about the missionary kids that I was with 
I wanted to know that they got rescued as well because that story was so real to me, the narrative of what was happening while I was away that I was worried that I got rescued and they did not. There was a disconnect I could see in people's eyes. Like I would be like, you know, of course I didn't know how to write anymore. So when I could finally get the tube, I was wanting to know how are the missionary kids? And they're like, everybody's fine. And then they thought, well, maybe she's confusing missionary kids for her own kids. And then they're telling me my kids are fine. And I was like, no, how are the kids? So for the first couple of days, I just cried all day because I thought maybe they were only able to rescue me and then they couldn't get them, but they didn't want to tell me. So I felt guilty. So I had all these case scenarios, you know, in my head. Until finally, I was convinced that I had been in that hospital. I was not with missionary kids. I had not been rescued from West Africa, all of these things. It kind of slowly started dawning in on me, but I had to learn again how to walk and how to just, you know, rebalance my body and just strengthening it. And then they sent me directly home to have any kind of physical therapy was done at home. So my physical therapist, uh, I was scared of everything just because, and that's a very normal reaction to having a very huge physical trauma is just an emotional trauma of fear. You know, people that have a lot of times even open heart surgery or things like that, they'll pull back from people. And it's not because they're afraid of you, but it's just your body, I think is trying to preserve itself and emotional side of it. But anyway, a physical physical therapist came to my house and he was looking around and and he I could tell that he thought my house was a little weird. And I said, oh, I said, you know, I do have a lot of things from different countries. I said, actually, I am an MK and I was speaking really slow, you know, because people were like, what's an MK? And he goes, hey, I know what an MK what is. I am one. And I said, what? And he here he is in Arkansas, he served as a missionary kid with David Bernard in Korea. Wow. From another mission. And I was like, the way that God orchestrates our steps, you know, here I was very fearful of this person coming in and doing physical therapy and he knows David Bernard and he had the connection of being a missionary kid. And so it's like, God was saying every bit of fear that you have, I'm going to take that and just show you that I'm a huge God that has all of this wrapped up. So the other thing is you know, when we go through those tragic situations, that was a, a tragic situation, like in physical therapy, if anybody, if anybody knows anything about it and has been through it, it's painful. That's just all there is to it, especially when you're having to relearn how to walk and how to write and how to do all those normal things you've always known how to do. It is absolutely painful. The tragic situations that you may experience or I have experienced, I've always found, like you said, God won't waste it. Right. He will not waste that experience. Right. And he's going to get all the glory from it. You know, that's right. That's the thing. Like it's so small to us, but he steps in in such a bigger way and just brings all the glory. And I'm so, so thankful for that. So I had to go back and have another surgery after that. I had a, uh, another stint put in my brain. And when I went in, you know, I kind of questioned because I knew that God obviously was able to heal. He was able, he had already healed and delivered me, but I feel like the Lord allowed it because one of the guys that I had when I came out of recovery, I looked at him and I said, I know you. He said, you know me. And I said, yeah, I've had you as a nurse before. I said, you travel with a huge angel. He said, what? And I said, yeah. I said, who in your family is praying for you as a nurse? Because you travel with the big angel. And he was like, what are you talking about? And I said, well, when I was here before, you were standing in my room and you were looking at my legs and there was a huge angel pointing to you places in my legs. And he goes, what are you talking about? I said, 
that's what you were doing. You were looking at my legs, but the angel was showing you where to look. And he said, you don't understand. He said, when you were here before, he said, I felt for some reason that you had blood clots. He said that we never had done any tests that showed you had blood clots. You weren't showing any exterior signs of it, but I kept feeling inside of me like you had it. And I said, because the angel was telling you. And he said, okay. And then he said, so I called this guy in the hospital that they call the vein whisperer. It's another guy that works there. And he said he found, I think it was six or eight blood clots. And some of them were life-threatening that were not showing up on the outside exterior, but he just had that feeling. And I said, you were not just having that feeling. That was the angel of the Lord telling you that he was giving you that knowledge. He was really tearing up. And just to know again, from the medical profession that you're doing something that you just feel like is a part of your day, but knowing the backstory that it's the angel in the hand of the Lord that's guiding you to feel that way. So I still pray for him. I believe in the Lord that he's going to get saved and will go by his grandparents' house and they live in our town. And I'm like, in Jesus' name, save him, Lord. I think that whatever profession you're in, whatever you do, just don't say, I'm going in and working today. The Lord is with you. He's using you. He's wanting to use you to minister to others and we in ways that we don't even understand. I love how the hand of God operates through all of us. That's why I feel like right now the medical profession really needs our undergirding in prayer because, you know, first of all, they're not equipped to handle all the tragedies that they're handling. They're they're dealing with constant tragedy. They're dealing with a lot of loss and they're feeling hopeless in it. They don't see a way out. We need to undergird them. Exactly. And that's a huge point you bring up. And I'm really glad you did bring that point up. In my profession, I'm considered the invisible frontline worker. So I'm not the actual frontline worker like the law enforcement or the medical doctors, physicians. I'm the one back here. Once they do what they do, then I come in and I work on the mental health side of things, the emotional side of things. And I can't tell you, like just today, I got an email from somebody. They weren't requesting services from me. They just needed to unload. And it was somebody that worked in the medical field. And they started talking in this email just about all the tragedy and and how it's impacted them with PTSD. So we need to pray for our medical professionals. We need to pray for our mental health professionals. We need to pray for medical missionaries that go into these countries that are like Haiti and Afghanistan that are there to help people because you you never know that big angel, like you described with the guy that was pointing at your legs. I mean, you never know. There may be some huge angels right along and saying, telling that medical professional, Hey, you need to look over there. You hadn't looked over there yet. They'll be thinking, well, hey, I guess I just need to look over there. And sure enough, and God leads them. So I think that's, I got chills. I think this is the interview of chills today. I don't know. (laughs) And the other thing too, and and I don't know how much you want to talk about this, but when you're going through like major sickness, and it doesn't necessarily have to even be sickness, it could be a major catastrophic event in your life, but particularly with sickness, how did that impact you? as far as mental health goes, because you, you have your faith in God, you have a walk with God, you, you know, obviously you're concerned about missionary kids and helping man, but then there's you. Right. 
I think one of the things that helped me the most is that I was reading a book, a lady was talking about going through some different things physically, and she had had a stroke and how that read shaped her physical body and all that. And she was crying out to the Lord and she was saying, why me? And she felt like the Lord was saying to her, why not you? Isn't it that the scripture that we want to say that I may know him in the fellowship of his suffering? And I think that for me, I can look back at this time period in my life. And it was really a realigning. It was for me to let go of what I did with missionary kids. And my whole life up to that point, my focus for 20 years of ministry had been ministries and missionary kids. And the Lord was calling me to get into Compassion Services International and a different scale of things, but I wasn't willing to let it go. I was convinced that Everything that I needed as far as ministry wise was to be poured into missionary kids. You know, if I typed an M in my phone, it automatically had a K. Like my phone even knew what my direction was. I think that the Lord was using this. It was a physical ramification, but it was also a very different shift for me spiritually. So if you ask how I was doing, I think in some ways I was grieving. I don't want to say grieving, but just like coming to the to the upfront competition of this is going to be a change in your life and it's going to be fine. But it, it was a physical manifestation as to what was happening spiritually. Yeah. I think grieving is a, is the exact, right. a good description of it. Cause everybody thinks yeah. grieving is death, you know, death of a loved one. You can grieve good things. I just did a podcast on grief and you can grieve good things like relationships you're not no longer going to be around. You can grieve jobs that you love doing, but maybe God is moving you a different direction. And that's what it is. It's grieving and you're right. It's a shift and it's readjustment and it's realignment and it's not easy. And some people literally will, they do, they grieve. There's no, and they may get angry. And I'm not saying that was the case with you, but they may get angry. They may get depressed. They may like want to bargain with God. They go through all those normal stages that come with grief. I think that's a very good description of it. Well, and I think that every time I prayed about myself before this happened, the day of my aneurysm, I had my time of prayer and journaling to the Lord. And the Lord said to me, I see you with your hands raised saying, choose me, pick me. But I say, put your hands down and trust me. So that was so clear to me that it was a time of walking and trusting in the spirit. And I kept seeing myself almost like, you know, Animal Planet has this whole wall of birds that are by the ocean. And they're the birds are like little tiny birds, and they're not ready to fly yet. So they're tucked away in these little caves on the side of the rocks. And I felt like that's where I was, that the winds were going to come and it was going to be okay to launch myself, but I wasn't ready to. Almost for a year, I had a time period of just kind of rebuilding myself physically, but yet in the Lord and spiritually. So it was like a readjustment or realigning as to what if you will, the wind of the spirit where it wanted to take me. Right. I want to say to whoever's in the midst of change, just embrace that because the Lord is right now building your under feathers or over feathers or whatever feathers stage he needs to build for you to launch into that. And and sometimes we feel like we're in that waiting room, but he's got to open up that right door. You got to praise him while you're waiting. You praise him wherever it is. The Bible says, hide me under the shelter of your wing. And that's what he's doing. He's allowing you to rebuild yourself while he's strengthening you in that enclave of the rock. I think that after that, there was a launching and kind of normalcy. And even after that, so my body was healing, but then three years after that period, I actually went to Dr. Complex, right? It was three years 
and a month later and I went into the medical complex. I just went to a regular unleaded doctor's appointment and I drove up to the parking garage and I just started crying. I'm not a weeper. Like if you're a weeper, that's fine. I'm just not one that just goes around all the time crying. I'm not much of a weeper too, but when I start crying, I think I make up for all that time. I'm not crying. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, I don't know what's wrong. I don't know why I'm crying. You know, so I went up to my, I knew I had to go to my doctor's appointments. I went in there. I'm literally like crying. My blood pressure is like through the roof. They keep taking it over and over. And I'm like, I don't think it's going down. I don't know what's wrong with me. I saw my doctor and she said, how are you feeling? And I said, I guess I thought I was fine, but I'm obviously not. So she started talking to me about trauma and the fact that, you know, your body is healing and it takes usually with a severe brain injury. They say that it takes three years for your body to completely heal from that. At this point, it was three years. Three years and like two months. And so she said it usually will take three years for your body to rebuild after that. And she said, but then after that, she said, then your emotions can come alongside and finally start working through what's happened to you. And I was like, what? I think I'm fine. I think that, you know, I've handled this. I've spoken about this at events, at ladies conference, all these things, you know, and God is getting the glory. That's what I was mentally thinking. I wasn't telling her that, but she said, that's very normal. And she said, I really feel like you need to go through some therapy for extreme trauma therapy. And I was like, what? So she said, yes. She said, she gave me the name of a a therapist and she said, you need to call her right away and start dealing with the things that you're not even understanding that you're caring. And she said, the only thing I can explain it to you is if you had been bit by a shark and you had gotten bit by a shark when you went to the beach, the specific beach, you go back to that beach and you get into that water again, your body is going to physically react in the way that you are reacting right now because your body feels like you are putting it in danger because your emotions have caught up to the point of this is not a safe place for you. Get out of there. And so she said, that is exactly what you're feeling. And actually it, it, it was a great description as to how I was feeling, not knowing how I was feeling, but she was describing exactly what I was feeling. Yeah. And I think that is a a wonderful analogy and description of it. And that's what I work in. I work with trauma and and that's exactly it. That's what's going on in your brain. And there's a part of your brain called the amygdala. And it's sole job, it's a smoke detector. Smoke detector, absolutely. The only thing it does, it sits there and it monitors, that's it. And just like she said, it's like, if you got back in that water after being bit, what happens, the amygdala, it starts okay, it's amping up because it's like thinking we're in danger, danger, danger. And then you've got another part of your, in that whole area called the hippocampus. Well, then because the amygdala's skyrocketed way up, the hippocampus is becoming less activated. And then your memory, it's, you know, it gets to be a mess. And then the emotions, you've got this other part of the brain and I'm not going to get too nerdy in it, but it's called the insula. And the insula is actually connected to both the amygdala and the hippocampus. And so if the amygdala is overactivated, the insula, what ends up happening for people that have experienced trauma is they will feel that edgy on edge, anxious. And they, sometimes they can't even describe, but inside they're like internally just edgy. Like they want to claw their eyeballs out. So that was a, that's literally what's going on 
like within the brain. And so, yeah, you have to go, honestly, the only thing that does really help. Well, I won't say the only thing prayer helps because you're, because you're redoing that journaling help, seeking out somebody to talk to, whether that's a friend or if you need a therapist, just somebody just and and working through those things. And there's all kinds of wonderful therapies. It is not no woo-woo stuff. I'll just tell you anything of the weird stuff. I always call it woo-woo, but it's not. It's It really helps your brain to those areas of the brain to heal that emotional part of it. It is exactly what is happening. And, and I feel like, I don't know why people are afraid to do something like that. I feel like we are so, we realize the importance of getting every part of our body healthy, but we need to also get our mind healthy. And so sometimes, you know, there's things that are stored way deep in these file folders of your brain that you don't even know that are there, but we've got to take the time to go through them and just evaluate them one by one and, and know what needs to happen for healing. So I had, I would say September, October, November, December, four months of weekly sessions, meeting with someone and just talking through some things. A lot of things actually, even from my childhood that kind of attached to this came out. And so there's things, that's the other thing about the brain. There's things that attach themselves. Yes. So I don't know if you'd like Carolyn Leaf or not, but I love Carolyn Leaf, Dr. Carolyn Leaf. My brain, and she talks about you know your memories and the good trees and the bad trees, and that's a very simplistic way I know to remember it, but that's how I can remember it. But how that you can have when someone says something nice to you, it goes and sits on a good tree, and so it's like all the leaves are prospering and everything is lovely, but it releases that the endorphins and you feel someone can give you a tiny compliment, but you have a huge reaction because when it goes and sits on that tree, all the reactions from the past are released again. And in the same token of how, when one negative thing is said to you, it goes and sits on a thorn tree. And so that goes and just attaches itself to the thorn tree. So then every negative thing that's been said to you is released. So that's why you find that you overreact to some things because You're reacting to everything that's sitting on that thorn tree. Yeah. The other thing too, earlier when I talked about the hippocampus, it was way underactivated. You know, it's not working like it should. And the amygdala is way overactivated. It's just on high alert. Here we go. The other opposite end of that, when somebody's experienced trauma, sometimes people will be numb. Like they, they can't identify their feelings. I know me personally, I went through a phase of my life and people would tell me I'm angry and I was not feeling angry. And they're like, you're angry. I'm like, no, I'm not. Now we're they lying? No. Was I lying? No. Dang it. It was my insula was so underactivated that I was numb and I could not feel those feelings. I didn't feel shame. I didn't feel anger. And so that's the other part of it too. And, and that, again, that's due to trauma. So yeah, it's, it's very well. And I love that description of the, the good tree and the, and the bad tree. And, and here we got the thorn bush and I don't know where the numb tree is. Well, that's why I think it helped me because and this is not speaking of trauma per se, but just in the, in general, I think sometimes we find ourselves overreacting. Someone can say right. something so simple to us and we find that we're reacting and we're like, this is really me re- overreacting, but it's because it's brought up all of those stored negative emotions when it went and sat on that, you know, negative tree. That's why there's that renewing of your mind, the importance of the 
of God and that filter, right? The word of God and what we're allowing in our brain, whatsoever things are true, godly, good report, virtue, praise, think on these things. And all of the things in the Bible really relate to that because actually through prayer, that is the only thing, or they say meditation, but we know that it's prayer, prayer and speaking in the spirit. Those are the things that actually can take things off of that thorn tree or the negative that we have. And they can actually even sometimes transfer it to the positive. Right. That's where the renewing of the mind comes through and the power of the spirit that doesn't happen on our own. It comes through the power of God. I just, I feel like I went through that and I was in the end thankful that I did find that healing and to talk about it because anything that I can go through to help someone else, I'm just always thankful for. You know, it was funny because that time was actually terminated because our my husband changed insurance with his job. And so I could no longer get that same person. And I had a connection with her. And then I really felt like I was worked through the initial issues that I had. But I feel like the Lord just allowed all of that just to even, if it brought hope or help to anybody else, that it was worth it. Do you ever find that somebody comes across your path and they, they, they're going through something so similar, whether it was with the aneurysm or when you was growing up, whatever the case may be, maybe during all that time, you always wondered why or how come? Cause I know I do. Why, God, why did I have, why did that? How come, you know, the anger, all that. And so do you ever find that when that one person comes across your path and you hear their story and then it's like, I don't know about you, but for me, it's very humbling because it's like it, it's not that I, I'm okay with what happened because I'll never be okay with the past. It's just that it, it makes it worthwhile because it's, again, it's not a waste. God can take right. whatever was meant for evil. God can use it for good and to help other people. I think I had a lot of experiences growing up of abuse and not in my household or anything like that, but just um, through people that knew at that time when I was a teenager, of course, questioned it, but that really put a fight inside of me to champion for other missionary kids and, to, you know, to come along and there's no, I did not want any other missionary kids to ever feel like they didn't have a voice or that they had to accept that, that there were things that they could walk through. Yeah. I think in those situations going through it, I could see that, look, I was going to champion the cause for other people. I was going to, you know, and so like it made it worth it for me. But in the same token, sometimes there's things that happen in our life that there's just no answer to it. There's no, you know, there's no championing for others. There's no times where you can be like, this happened because of this. But you have to know that God and his sovereignty allowed it to shape and form you. Exactly. Make you into what he needs you to be later on. And so he's healing and shaping something in you that is a deep work that there's no explaining it, but really people will look back and they won't even understand how you've come this far, but it's because of the grace and mercy of God and the work he's been doing. Right. A friend of mine, I don't know if you know, sister Beth Bows, but she years ago, she told, she was speaking and I, her, she said the statement and it really is what you're saying. She said, God will prepare you for what he has already prepared you for. And no, that sometimes there's not going to be no answer for what happened. It's not going to make sense. And there's not ever going to be somebody that comes along that had experienced that, but it's part of that preparation time. It's definitely part of that preparation. So because there's such a deeper walk there that you will 
be able to go through. And something else too, that makes me think of that. And it's about anointing. You know, I, there's times, and I had to learn this really quick early on. Don't ever pray for somebody's anointing. You know, if you see somebody use mightily of God, don't pray for their anointing because here's the key. You have no idea what that person walked through, what fire they went through, basically what hell they went through to get to that place, that anointed place. And that's, you know, that's the other thing too. And everybody, you know, when they're involved in ministry, when they have anointing, they've gone through some things. So just for whoever's out there that is always wishing, well, I can be, wish I could be like the next Dennis Stostrand or Celinda Nichols. Don't pray for their anointing. Don't because you have no idea and nobody probably will ever know the full story and it doesn't really matter, but just know that they've gone through stuff. You've gone through stuff. I've gone through stuff. It's just part of that, that sculpting. And like you said, God's preparing you and, and getting into that spot. You went through therapy. It was very helpful. And then, and then you finished up with that. How has your ministry changed as far as compared to before the aneurysm and now? I feel like it's completely different because my focus before, like I was mentioning, was always just missionary kids ministry. And I'd helped in some women's ministry things before, but I feel like, and I'd also worked with getting the next generation involved in missions. I feel passionate about that before. And I feel passionate about that now, but I would say my focal point for my daily focus has changed in the fact that it's more about coming alongside and and bringing hope and help to the world through compassion services. And the Lord had me on a journey. You know, I felt like if I hadn't have gone through my aneurysm, I probably wouldn't have seen what he was doing. I will tell you this, there's things that you're walking through today that you don't even know. It's the Lord. Oh, it's the Lord setting you up for a win for the future. And when I, I was in China in March before I had my aneurysm and I was walking down the road and I was with a friend and I said, the Lord just healed me of all of my allergies. And she said, what? And I said, yeah, I feel like the Lord just healed me of all my allergies. And I had at that point, severe allergies. If I ever were to eat shellfish, anything cooked or fried with it, shrimp, seafood, everything, I would immediately go into anaphylactic shock. I carried an epinephrine pin and that was just to get me to the hospital. And so traveling was always really interesting because I basically would eat like white rice wherever we went because everything would, and especially in China was so cooked with seafood. Come to find out the Lord was setting me up for a win in August, because when you first take you in and check you out, they use a dye to check out the blood vessels in your brain. And that is actually has iodine derivatives in it. And I would have gone into anaphylactic shock and died immediately. That's true. It's like the Lord was healing me in March for something that I would walk through in August, but yet I didn't understand at the time. So I feel like there's so many of us that the Lord is setting us up for a win today for something that we're going to need later. So just never question the process. Don't question, just be thankful in all things because he sees the big scope and he sees the big picture and the doors that he's opening today are because of maybe something that was planted in your heart two years ago that he was doing. His ways are so above our ways and his thoughts are above our thoughts. And I just, I feel like, you know, I maybe made a difference for 
MKs in America, but now I am making a difference for people around the world that I'll never meet until we get to heaven. You know, I'll never meet people in Afghanistan that were got that got out last week. I'll never meet people in Haiti that the team is going in and feeding today, but I'll meet them in heaven one day. The Lord had to make me uncomfortable enough to want to leave my comfort zone, which is MK Ministries, to be able to put that aside, to say yes to helping with CSI, to be able to get me to that next level. I guess it's just a privilege to be hand in hand and work for him daily. Right. And that's just how God does it. You know, normally when I'm wrapping up, I always ask, ask my guests to speak to that person. And I'm not even doing that because you've done that like throughout this, this interview. And, and I really feel I do. I've got chills. I feel like whoever's going to be listening to this, I imagine several whoever's because really the podcast has, is going to, I think it's in every state just about in the U S and it's reaching to other countries now, which excites me to no end. So I know that you have spoke to probably many, many people just on this podcast alone. And, and I know just through your ministry, you have spoke to, you've spoken at women's conference and you have touched lives. You have like impacted lives that you will never have any idea, like you said. And, you know, we're all a part of the body of Christ. And some of us, sometimes I feel like I'm over the pinky toe, you know, but, but the pinky toe is just as important as the hand you know, that's just how it works. And, and you did not ask me to do this, but if anyone is out there and they want to help support, they wonder how can they help? How can they help Haiti? How can they help Afghanistan? Go to Compassion Services International and give because it takes money to fund operations, to go to these places. Because I promise you, airlines aren't free. Getting pamphlets and and literature is not free it takes money that's just the the thing of it to to get food or water into these places that may not have food or water or clean water let me put it that way clean water food that is not tainted with all kinds of whatever uh, nifty stuff it takes money and so no you don't have to go to Haiti you don't have to go to some other country you want to help missions Fund missions, support missionaries, support Compassion Services International. I wholeheartedly believe in giving to Compassion Services International. And so I'm just asking to reach out and do something, whether it's $5, whether it's a dollar, whether it's 10 bucks, whether it's 20, maybe somebody is just, they feel it on their heart to give more than that. Whatever you can give, give just do it. I promise God will give it back to you a hundredfold. And if you don't know what a hundredfold is a hundred percent, and I've seen it in my own life in different ways as we do wrap up. And I don't think I've ever asked anybody this one. What is a book that you would recommend to our audience to just be encouragement? I mean, it doesn't have to necessarily be a quote unquote Christian book. It could be just a book that you found helpful. I would say with the trauma that I was talking about before, there's a book called Your Body Keeps a Score. And that is a great book as far as going through, maybe you've had trauma. And sometimes people don't even know that they've gone through trauma because their, you know, their psyche is like pressing it down or repressing it. And that's a great book. Anything by Carolyn Leaf. We've mentioned her a couple of times. I feel like she's great as far as for the regular unleaded person like me to understand some of the 
the now to the brain. She has Who Switched Off My Brain, How to Eat Correctly for Your Brain. She has several books. Wow. I can give you some other books there. I'm just thinking about books that get right. you thinking to the next level. That's really what it's about, growing ourselves. And the Lord has just convicted me as of late. It's like, it's so easy to sit there. I see families all the time at restaurants and different things. They're sitting there scrolling and they're, instead of having conversations with their family, they're sitting there scrolling and on their media, their kids are lonely, they're lonely, but they're sitting there trying to get an immediate fix through social media. But invest in yourself by reading, invest in your family by reading together, invest in your kids. God is equipping us for a work that he wants to do in the end time, but we have to be willing to get the resources in our life to do that. I want to challenge you to think on a higher level in that sense. But thank you for the honor of being with you. Today. I feel like this is a God thing. Thank you for what you're doing. There's no telling the people that you are ministering to and touching. And so I want to thank you for taking your time and doing this because you're, you're living the life outside the box. I love it. I love anybody that does that. Well, thank you so much. If this interview has impacted you, if it has touched you, if you know somebody that it can help, please share the podcast with them. Please share. And as most of you know, who have listened, I don't shy away from the taboo topics. And yes, the book, The Body Keeps the Score is an excellent book. Bessel Vanderkock, I highly recommend it as well. And so thank you again. And until next time, have a blessed and wonderful day. Thank you for listening to the Real Talk 238 podcast for this week's episode. If you have enjoyed this episode of the Real Talk 238 podcast, please subscribe so you will be notified when new episodes are released. If you would like to leave a comment, or there is a topic you would like discussed on the Real Talk 238 podcast, you can drop an email at therealtalk238 at gmail.com. You can also find the Real Talk 238 podcast on Facebook, and Instagram listed as at the Real Talk 238. As a reminder, the Real Talk 238 podcast is not a substitute, nor does it replace therapy. Always seek the advice of your physician or a qualified licensed mental health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or mental health disorder. Until next time, have a blessed day.